Thank you for joining us for Effective Heart Change, the podcast that will discuss how to apply faith principles to real-life situations. This is Effective Heart Change. And it is good to be here for Effective Heart Change. Welcome, Dale. Thank you. It is just good to be here, isn't it? Yes, it is. Praise God. <laughs> and we've had a pretty interesting discussion. Uh, I've, you've allowed me to come to your class that precedes this uh, recording, and uh, I've found uh, I've learned a lot already, and uh, come in contact with some really fine people that that are working hard to to. Uh, Make progress in their life and please God, and that's that's wonderful. You know, it it, it was neat to me. I, I wrote about a twenty-page packet on healthy authority or godly influencing. I mean, I, I've had various titles, but the idea is, if I want to influence you in a biblical way, in a godly way, what does that look like? So they've been studying this packet, and so this morning in class was kind of the culmination of that. It's like, okay, what did you learn? And it was really neat just to listen to the the exchanges back and forth. And it's like, wow, they're 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 getting this. They've seen me do it for a period of years, because in the Omega Project, I'm continually trying to move them from unhealthy, controlling, manipulating types of behaviors, which are pretty common. Uh, oh, really? And, uh, yeah, they they are. Oh, I've never uh, come in contact. You've with never that come in contact no, with that. Everything's okay. Well, guns and roses. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> oh, that's not right. <laughs> so uh, you're continually trying to move them from there. And a normal pattern is some form of escalation. Uh, you see that a lot in, in the addiction realm, and you see it a lot in the political realm, and et cetera. So a normal pattern is I'm going to go up the ladder and try to be extremely forceful. And if I can just be forceful enough, you'll listen to me and then I've influenced you. I mean, that's the mentality of the world as a whole. And you see it everywhere. It's not just in addiction. And I mean, honestly, we're addicted to to that authority, that power kind of thinking. In fact, I think an American... uh, Philosophy is based on the individual and the greatness that you can achieve, and it's generally considered that you do it on your own because you'd, you're not dependent on anybody else. Well, that's about as far from truth as you can get. And what's interesting, tying into what you just said, one of the people I, I said, okay, what, what did you learn? And his statement was, I never knew just how much authority was collective, how authority operates within a group. So if you have a family grouping, well, we share outcomes. So the influence, you know, one child can influence other children, you know, spouses, you've got all of this. And we want to live in a world where we are in charge and we have an ability to control our own destiny. But the truth, that whole idea that authority is collective, and so we share outcomes, we influence this shared thing. And it happens back and forth in kind of a cooperative manner. Sometimes it's not cooperative. Sometimes it's me being against you and trying to force you. But it definitely is that collective. In the several sessions that I've set in uh, in the class, one phrase keeps coming to my mind. And, And it's not a common phrase now, but 
growing up, I remember the common good. Mm-hmm. And and I, I keep hearing that in my head and, and it is making its rounds in my brain when you're talking about authority and the way you're talking about authority. Uh, I looked it up a little bit uh, on, in, on the internet and, and it said that it's, it's basically uh, an idea that the Greeks were big on and, you know, it's a philosophical idea. But for me, what that speaks to is, is uh, God ordained is the common good. It's, it's the best that's available for all people. And, and so uh, I just I wanted to mention that because uh, in reading your, your thesis here and, and hearing the discussions, that just keeps running through my head. And, and I know it's not a phrase that's used hardly at all, if, if, if at all, but I think there are things that have gone before that speak to what we're, we're looking at. I do a blog on Sundays on Facebook, and it ends up, you know, most people, if you're going to do something like that, it needs to be 500 words or less, you know, and, and I've had people who look at it and go, uh, nope, too long for me, I'm, I'm out of here, but, but I, I kind of tend to speak at a deeper level. Yeah, uh, yeah just occasionally. Okay. So, but what's interesting, several of those have talked about, I believe, one of the best definitions of love. If I love you, I'm caring about outcomes. I'm caring about your outcomes. And love ultimately, you know, at a national level, at a group level, ends up being about the common good. And when we actually start looking at outcomes and caring about the common good, we're actually moving toward love. Whereas our romantic culture makes it all about emotions and I feel this and I feel that. Well, I'm going to say, I don't know that I care what you feel if what you're feeling is causing you to do things that are incredibly destructive. Are you really loving that other person? That's interesting. Uh, when I was looking on, on the internet and at the, the common good, I got to thinking, well, what it really is, is the common good is uncommon good. And, and uncommon, the best the definition of uncommon good, in my estimation, is the love of God, because He loves in the way lo- He is love, and so uh, what He demonstrates in forgiveness, in in patience, uh, all of the things of, uh, that are so beautiful, uh, is uncommon good. If you're dealing with uncommon good, let's let's talk about a word that I use a lot: is justified. You know, in the program again. You're dealing with people who are unhealthy, who are living with unhealthy people. So if you do the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, guess what? I'm going to give back to you according to what you're giving to me. And, and, and maybe if I hit you hard enough, you'll learn a lesson. And that's the philosophy a lot of times people use. Well, if instead of that, I, I go to, let's go to this word justified. If instead of living in a place of justified, I begin to look to the common good. I begin to look towards positive outcomes. I cannot respond to people according to how I am justified to respond because then what? I just give back what, I, what you gave to me and maybe even more of it. And we have an escalating, back to that word, we have an escalating level of violence or we have escalating levels of ugliness. That just 
doesn't work. So you have to take this word justified, and I go, I don't really care if you're justified or not. God did not treat us according to justified. Or to how we deserve to yes. be treated. According, if he treated us according to justified, we all would have been totally wiped out. We all would have had miserable lives. We all would have been punished. But God doesn't respond according to justified. He responds according to love, which means he wants to give good outcome. Now, let's take that back to authority for a little bit. If you're going to do godly authority, it has to be done in the image of Christ, which means that we don't respond according to how we've been treated. We respond according to the common good, or we respond according to what will bring biblical or godly influence into the situation to help direct this thing towards the common good. We have another problem. We don't have the ability to do that. Because if it really is collective. Not on our pay grade. Exactly. <laughs> and it really is in common. All I get to do is bring influence. And my influence might not be enough to overrule or to change the situation or fix the situation or whatever language you want to use. What I bring may not be enough. That's when we get really frustrated. And it's like, well, if it's not enough, then I'll just escalate this situation until they respond to me. Well, there's a problem with that. Godly influence ultimately comes back to done in the image of Christ. God, the ruler of the universe, doesn't come to you as a Lord. He comes and he knocks and he's gentle and he comes to win hearts. Why? He wants a love relationship with us. He wants communion with us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants worship. He wants honor. He wants those kinds of things. And those are the kinds of things that make life worth the living. So if I come to you and I lord it over you, I may get you to behave the way I want you to behave, but in the end, I don't have any of the things that are significant in life. So God comes the way he uses authority. He comes to try to win Hearts. That's just such a different approach than the way we normally use authority. It's a, it's a recovery program, isn't it? It it is. He uh, comes to win us over uh, back, if you prefer. Uh, but uh, it's interesting to read the scripture because it says all all authority has been given to Christ, and so that's that's the source. That's the that's the place you. It comes from, and it's granted. It isn't. It isn't something you assume. You take over. Uh, it's a, it's a given thing. And then you look at what Christ did, and He set that authority aside, uh, and preached, taught, lived, loved. You use the word recovery. Let me use a biblical term. How about redeemer? God is a redeemer. God is a restorer. So He doesn't care how much we've messed it up. Obviously, he cares because what? It's created painful outcomes. And, you know, I mean, he cares. So I, I don't mean that. But when he's looking at a situation, he understands that the past is the past. There's nothing we can do about that. We, we have to start living today and move into the moving forward, moving into the future. So God is at work looking at that person, looking at that situation, saying, how can I redeem? 
how can I restore? The very heart of God, the very nature of God is about that day after day after day. And so in a recovery program, but not just in a recovery program, because there's nothing in the program that I wouldn't translate to church or wouldn't translate to my family. I want to learn to do authority. I want to do influence in a way that is going to be a part of that redemptive model that's going to be a part of that restorative model. And what I find is every time I, one of the people this morning made, made a distinction between authority and influence. If I've got the power to make you do something, I may be able to do that. But what I responded is ultimately the most powerful part of influence is relationship authority. Why? It's relationship authority because we are so instinctively relational, and that is such a high value to us that if relationship is going well, there's going to be influence there because I don't want to mess up the relationship. When you're dealing with addicts, when you're dealing with broken people, the relationships have been so messed up for so long that there's almost no relationship authority left because there's no hope left. So when I'm dealing with someone who's totally broken, wow, we got a problem. So I've got to come in at that point. I've got to demonstrate that I care. I've got to listen. I've got to, I've got to spend this period of time developing this relationship authority and probably letting some things go and maybe even having to do sacrifices and, and different kinds of things. Because until the relationship piece is rebuilt, the only thing I have is authority. It is force. And way too much of the time, we're not patient enough to wait it out and to build that relationship piece to where we have actual biblical, godly influence. So I'll just jump back over here on the authority side. It's a lack of recognition that the real relationship that is basis of all is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I found it interesting uh, today in the, in the discussion to uh, some of the guys have been with the program long enough that they've they've made changes in their lives, productive changes, positive changes, and they've been given more authority. Okay, uh, and then the the change of of uh, perspective uh, that when someone doesn't respond to to what they do, and and uh, the negativity that can can come out of that. Uh, and and we forget when we progress that things look different, and and uh, we assume that we're probably right most of the time. I like to think that anyway. And and then when someone doesn't respond, we're not patient with them. How patient was God to to bring you out of a spot you were in before and give you an opportunity? The language that I use is to become adults. God wants all of us to grow up into his image. Well, what did he do? He laid down his life for us. So God wants us to progress from being children to being adults. When we start out with Christ, I would suggest almost everybody starts out with Christ, not with, I, I'm going to have this great purpose. I'm going to lay down my life for God. They might think that way, but, but really, even if they're thinking that way, it's still incredibly selfish incredibly self-centered. So when we start out with Christ, we're like a young child in that, yeah, God, if, if you bless me, I'll serve you. 
And it says to come as a child. Yeah, we come as a child. And, yeah. and so we have that, you know, our, our relationship with God early on is very much based on, am I getting blessed? Is God doing this? Well, God, if you're not going to do that, I, I'm just not sure I want you anymore. Well, then he asks us to progress into the place of being an adult where now we lay down our lives for those around. It's a pay-it-forward type of mentality. Many times people don't do very well growing from childhood in Christ into adulthood, and that's the same picture. I move from trying to do force and demand and manipulate and all the different things to try to get my way. I have to move from that to where I'm no longer trying to get my way. I'm laying down my life. I'm building relationship. I'm developing trust. I've got the kind of integrity in my life where people can actually trust me, can depend on me. Now, just out of that life, I begin to have influence, and, and that feels actually pretty good. It does feel good. I'm reminded as a, as a young person, I've received Christ as a seven-year-old, and uh, I was probably 27 before I got past the childhood stage uh, because I— I was pleased that I had the assurance of eternal life, and I thought that was the whole deal. And then, um, through good influences, uh, I I got a different picture. And in getting a different picture, uh, I decided, oh, I just walked in the door. I I haven't even got into into the main hallway yet, and and uh, that was a change that that. I welcome, and I'm still a child in a, in one sense. I'm still just learning, and and the God that I believe in is is so big that I don't believe I'll ever know even in heaven. But uh, I want to know as much as I can contain. What's interesting? This whole model of godly influencing. I talk about it being counterculture, and, and I remember that from a John Stott book when you read the Sermon on the Mount. Everything is just like totally upside down. And if you're You've listen- heard this, yeah. Then that. Yeah. You have heard it said. Yeah. But, but I say. Yeah. And and so it just it literally takes all of the common thinking and just completely sets it on its ear. And and I talked about that some this morning, how a lot of times programs, the very first thing, when you step in the door, we're going to establish our authority and you're going to listen to us and and there, there's that sense of, you know, we've got to throw down the gauntlet and we've got to demand respect. And if we don't have respect, in the demanding of respect, many times you're losing hearts. I, I get it. We have rules. Here's how we do it. We actually come in and we have an interview and I, I, I set the expectations ahead of time. This is the way God works, I believe. He doesn't come in and demand. He lays out ahead of time and gives you the chance to do free will. So we have an interview before they even start, and I just say, okay, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we believe it will take for you to get better. So this is the way we're going to be operating. Do you get that? Do you understand that? And of course, you know, typically, well, yeah, that sounds reasonable. So this is what we're going to be doing. We Expectations. Give, yes, we give them information ahead of time that's hopefully, hopefully accurate according to who we are and how we're going to respond. Do you hear the consistency? Do you hear the integrity? Do you hear the laying down of information ahead of time, not demanding, 
not expecting them to have it right the first time. All of these are pieces of exercising biblical godly authority. So much of the time when we are going through this, it's like, okay, we're taking what you used to do and completely turning it upside down. And, and one of them we talked about was leadership uh, that I'm going to highlight, which is kind of interesting. A lot of times people are like, okay, you absolutely have to totally reinforce the leader and they've got to know that they're dominant and they've got to know that when their word is spoken, it's absolutely going to be backed up. Uh, I'm not sure that's how God operates. So when I started looking at that, you know, my statement was, and I, I believe it's biblical and I believe it's how God operates, is no, I'm going to back integrity. And so there's times when leaders come to me expecting me to take their side because they're, they're more mature and, and the child, you know, not, not an actual child, but someone in the program who's acting like a child, the child has come along, and so I've got adult and child, and of course, you back the adult. And many times it actually doesn't work out that way because the child maybe is new, and they, I just I have no influence with that child. I can't get anywhere with that child. The only one I have influence with is the adult slash the leader. So a lot of times, I, yeah, their, their behavior is bad. But when that, when that leader's expectation becomes, you're going to back me, no matter what I do. We all misuse authority. Absolutely. And in the process of misusing authority, if we demand to be supported in it, we're demanding everything contrary to love. And what we need to be able to do when we do make mistakes, and we will make mistakes, is to own them. Because that will reinforce to anybody around us that we don't think we're God, we're trying to, to become more like and, and to do things the right way. But in the process, we recognize that we make mistakes. And I think one of the most important things that we do is to take ownership of the bad stuff just as much as we want of the good stuff. And, and my statement is I back integrity. So I'm going to do everything I can to come alongside and to encourage integrity. So one thing is, okay, if the leader's not in a good place, no, let's, let's move this thing to where there's integrity. If that means I have to confess that I've messed it up, uh, you know what? That's movement towards integrity. That's going to build trust. If I'm able to, no, just stand and stand firm, that's good. Now, there's another piece to this. The second thing that I do is I look to have influence. There are times when the child, i.e. the one who's in the wrong, being a jerk, whatever language you want to use, they're new. There's no relationship authority. There's nothing there. The only thing I have less left is absolute force. And I know that if I use absolute force, it's not going to have good outcomes. So the only one I actually have any influence with is the leader. So I sit down and talk to the leader and walk them through about how can you respond to this situation for you to build your authority, which may mean that you don't actually use authority, you use influence instead of demanding, you may actually come back from a more sacrificial lay down your life tone. I mean, that just confuses leaders. You talk about counterculture, they're just like, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. But if you study scripture, you find out, oh, that is how Christ does it. And it seems to work pretty well for Christ. So maybe if 
we would try it. It would work. Now, again, I can hear all the complaints. Well, it just doesn't work that way in the real world. Well, no. If you want short-term results, you're probably right. If you want short-term results, sometimes the best thing you can do is lay down the law and demand, and you get a short-term result. But in the end, you've hardened a heart against you. So if you want to build long-term results, you work at team, you work at common good, you work at love. And so when I'm establishing it that way, it's slower, but in the end, it's faster. It seems to be inefficient, but in the end, it's more productive and it's just a more powerful approach. Back in the many, many years ago, when I was 19, I was blessed to uh, be chosen to play on a basketball team and went to the Orient. And we played in five different countries. Uh, halftime, we witnessed faith. And, and one of the things that became clear, winning souls for Jesus, uh, that, was the, that was the thrust, uh, that, that sometimes the person most likely to speak to a non-believer is someone that is a new believer because they're closer in thought processes. If you take someone that's been a believer for years, a lot of times they're talking over the head of a non-believer. And, and uh, that was kind of an interesting peek into, into conversations and sharing uh, that really made me look at life differently. Uh, you obviously are a scholar, and, and, and you, you write, and I write different kinds of stuff. But— uh, you have an authority based on what your life is uh, to speak at a different level. And, and that's, that's not only useful, it's beneficial to, to everyone when uh, applied in the right way. But when we lord it over somewhere, we're not lord. Uh, that went out with serfdom back in the—and and Jesus is lord. So if, if we're talking down to people, uh, there's not going to be a connection. But when someone's on more of a level, they can go, oh, I kind of recognize that, and I might like to have that. That just comes from caring about somebody, loving somebody, and not passing judgment, not wielding authority. One of the things that I use, Luke twelve forty eight, God does not judge you according to what you do. He judges you according to what you do with what you've been given. So even though I've studied, even though I've written, at that point, if I understand that principle of God, I'm not better than you because God is asking me to respond according to what I've been given. I can't compare myself to you at that point. So I've got to walk in a manner that is blameless according to what he's given me. So I, I really try to keep that in mind. When I'm working with someone, it, it's not about a comparison. In fact, if you go into comparisons, that's part of unhealthy authority. It, it's about me just responding in simplicity, inside of who I am, inside of what God wants me to do. Now, the second thing that, that really ties into what you just said, what I find, many times people can best be ministered to, they can best be helped, they can best be taught by somebody who's pretty close to where they are spiritually. It's the fourth grader teaching the third grader. And, and so a lot of times people want 
to take someone like me who's had 40 years in the faith and studied and prayed and done all that and throw me into situations and speak. And a lot of times I'm not the best person to have influence there. Yeah, the, that's one of the things of the, of the tour that, that hit me was the response you'd get in the, quote, least likely place because you'd be talking to somebody on the street as much as you could, different languages. But, but there'd be conversations that went on, and there was a light that went on, not only in the person that you were talking to, but the light in, goes on in your life, too, because it's an, it's an exchange. We need each other. We're, we're made for fellowship, for relationship. And, and when we operate outside of that, uh, it's to everyone's detriment. Let's take it back there. We are made spiritual beings. And I believe spirituality means, talks about the interconnectedness. We're able to connect with God. We're able to connect with people. God has said that we're created with a spirit that is a temple. Temples house presence. I'm able to house the presence of God. Spirituality is about our interconnectedness. So when you really get back to authority, you get back to the core basis of authority, what's happening, it really goes back to who we are, which is that interconnectedness. If I'm going to do authority well, I'm building relationship. I'm building connectedness. And when there's good connection, there will be good influence. Instead, what we try to do is really, let's brand it as the word authority, where I use some form of force over you. It just doesn't work long term. In the short term, sure, you can get a short term benefit, but you create an enemy in the process. And when is a benefit not a benefit? Yeah. <laughs> Too often. Hopefully, you've learned a few things. It's, it's been fun having a discussion today about healthy authority, healthy influence, godly influence. We're hoping that you can take from these, apply it to your own life, learn and grow. It's called effective heart change. We want these messages to be able to make a difference in your life. Thank you for joining us today for Effective Heart Change. Video production, editing, and audio by Matthew. Set design and setup by Ashley. Content recorded live at Studio 104.